Today's scripture reading is Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Here's a question. Perhaps you know it. Who has the most followers on Twitter? The answer is former President Barack Obama. 133 million. Who has the most followers on Instagram. Cristiano Ronaldo. Sorry, Getch. <laughs> 536 million. Now, the popularity of these two men tell us something of the demographic primarily using these social media platforms. Whether it's former President Barack Obama or Ronaldo, their numbers are quite impressive. But I want to suggest something to you this morning. That as impressive as their numbers are, these numbers would be peanut shells compared to Jesus. Imagine this morning if Jesus was on Twitter. By the grace of God, it shut it down. Imagine if our Lord was on Instagram. The followers of Jesus would reach into the billions. Consider that according to the latest statistics, Christianity is the largest and most popular religion in the world, boasting over 2 billion followers today. Now, the growth of Christianity has spread all around 
the world, beloved. And the followers of Jesus considered this not just today, but the followers of Jesus throughout the centuries. would number a number, as it says in Revelation 7 and 9, would be a number too great to number. The success of the gospel and the message of Christ, beloved, is undeniable. And still, when you think of how many people claim to follow Jesus, the most intriguing aspect of this success, I think, is that it all began, in one sense, with a few tired, frustrated, unaware fishermen by the Sea of Galilee. Think about that, beloved. They were unknown, unassuming, Galilean fishermen. Unlearned, unthought of, Men of the sea. And we meet these brothers in our text this morning. And we see how their experience of Jesus and the good news of the kingdom of God not only changed their lives, but changed the world forever. Once again, as we have been making our way through the Gospel of Luke, we find our Lord doing what he had come to do, what he had been sent to do, what he had been anointed and appointed to do, which is to preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. How many times, as we have encountered Jesus in our time in Luke, that we encountered Jesus preaching and teaching? This is another occasion. It's not the first time we encounter him. But again, he is here, preaching and teaching. But there is something different on this occasion, beloved, because unlike previous occasions, this time... Jesus was not in the synagogue, as was his norm, as we learned before. But this morning, we find him doing some open-air preaching. We see him doing some lakeshore preaching. And as he is preaching, as, as usual... The Bible says that the crowds were heavy and, and growing, and they began to press in on him, pressing close to hear, 
pressing close to see Jesus. And as we read again, we are not told what Jesus was preaching that day. But I think we can be fairly confident, beloved, that what he was preaching is what he preached any other time. Which is according to Luke chapter 4, verse 43, the good news of the kingdom of God. The good news of the kingdom of God. Everywhere Jesus went, he amazed people. He amazed people because they became in awe. They became in awe because Jesus was revealing to them the amazing kingdom of God. He was revealing to them, and they were in awe. They were in awe of the king. They were in awe of the kingdom. And they, be, they became in awe of his grace. Because that's what the kingdom of God is. It is an amazing kingdom. Reigned over by an amazing king. Who pours out unto his people an amazing grace. And that's what we see this morning, beloved. We see this amazing kingdom breaking forth into the world once again. What is the kingdom of God, you may ask, beloved? Well, the kingdom of God is important to understand and to know that the kingdom of God is the reign of God on earth as it is in heaven. And this was the thrust. This was the warp and the woof of Jesus' ministry. He preached it. He prayed it. He performed it. It was all for the revelation that the kingdom of God has come. He preached it. Jesus preached for the sake of the kingdom. In, in Mark chapter 1, as, as Mark is beginning to record the life and ministry of Jesus, very early on, he says in chapter 1, in verse 14 and 15, that after John was put in the prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And what is the good news of God the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. It's what Jesus preached. He preached the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has come near. It was the subject of his sermons. You see this in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5. Verse 3, how does the Sermon on the Mount begin? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
And the rest of the sermon is our revelation of what life is in the kingdom of God. It was the point, it was not only just the subject of his sermons, it was the point of his parables. When Jesus gave parables, they were kingdom parables, revealing the nature of the kingdom and the nature of the king. In Matthew chapter 13, where we have a series of kingdom parables, Jesus over and over again tells us that these are about the kingdom. In Matthew 13 and 33, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of loaves till it was all leavened. It's the kingdom of God. Matthew 13 and verse 44, he again says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This is what Jesus taught. Subject of his sermons, the point of his parables. And he taught this so that people might know, so that we might know that the kingdom of God has come, that the kingdom of God is in their midst. This was why he preached. This was why he came. But he not only preached it, he prayed it. He prayed it. Jesus prayed for the sake of the kingdom. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he taught them to pray in accord with the kingdom of God, right? Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What? Your kingdom has come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's kingdom prayer. Acknowledging that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, has come to reign upon the earth and in the hearts of God's people, and there where the kingdom is, let the will of the king be done. This is why Jesus could pray when he was in his most trying time in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed according and in accordance with the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 22 and verse, verse 42 where he says, not my will, but yours be done. That's kingdom praying, beloved. I am not the king. And for whatever else I desire, may I desire, not my will, but the will of the king be done. The gracious, sovereign, benevolent king. May his will be done. This is what Jesus prayed. This is what Jesus preached. This is what Jesus performed. Jesus performed miracles for the sake of the kingdom. The miracles of Jesus pointed to and authenticated the king and his kingdom. 
You remember when John the Baptist was discouraged and he was wondering for all of his labors if he would see the kingdom of God in his lifetime. And he sent word to Jesus. Are you the one? Are you the king? Should I hold on and hold out for another? I'm looking for the kingdom of God. And in Matthew chapter 11, verse 4 and 5, what did Jesus say? Jesus answered him and said, You go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have the good news preached to them. You let John know that the kingdom of God has come. And this is the revelation of the kingdom. The king is here. How do you know? Because he's turning water into wine. Exchanging water into wine. How do you know? Because he's feeding 5,000 by the sea. How do you know? Because he's giving sight to the blind. How do you know? Because he's raising the dead back to life. This is the kingdom. And all of these, beloved, all of these, all of these, whether it's the water and the wine, whether it's the feeding of 5,000, whether it's the sight to the blind, whether it's the raising of the dead, all of them point to a kingdom that is an abundant kingdom. A great abundant kingdom. All pointing to a kingdom that the Bible says in Revelation in, in Romans chapter 14 and verse 17 is filled with righteousness, peace, and joy. That's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. And that's why Jesus was by that lake that day. That's why he was there. That's why he was at the seashore that evening to reveal the king and his kingdom to the world in general, but more importantly, beloved, to Peter, James, and John. That's why he was there. To reveal the kingdom to his first disciples. That they might see the king. They were fishermen. They were fishermen. And it's interesting that Jesus chose to preach on the shore of the lake that Peter, James, and John had been fishing all day. 
This is the shore that Jesus began to teach and preach on. In fact, the Bible says that while Jesus was teaching and preaching on that shore, James and John and Peter had finished fishing for the day. And they were by the shore as well, but they weren't particularly paying attention to Jesus' teaching. They were mending and cleaning their nets. They were, men, they were mending and cleaning their nets because it had been a most disappointing, it had been a most frustrating and unfruitful day. No fish. No fish. And those who fish know this frustration all too well. And while they were cleaning their nets, Jesus decided to use Peter's boat for a pulpit. And he tells Peter, I need your boat if you would just set it out a little way from the shore so I can finish preaching. You go ahead, keep mending your nets, but I need your boat. And he would preach the kingdom of God from that boat. And that became a kingdom boat, beloved. Listen to me this morning. Okay? The Lord has need of the boat. And he is going to use the boat to proclaim the kingdom of God. Bringing the kingdom of God to the boat. But not just bringing the kingdom of God to the boat, but thereby through the boat, bringing all the abundant blessings of the kingdom of God. He not only preached from the boat, but he was going to perform the kingdom of God in that boat. Because that boat became a kingdom boat. This is what the Lord does, beloved, when he desires to use the things that we have. That we would not begrudge it. That we would not hold too tightly onto it. But that we would release it to him so that it might be used for the glory of the king and the kingdom and find that through that the kingdom of God and all of its abundant blessings might flow. Peter let Jesus use his boat. And when Jesus had finished teaching, he called Peter over and he gave Peter two commands, simple commands. In Luke 5 and verse 4. One, Peter, let's go back out into the deep waters. And Peter, let down your nets once again to fish. Two commands. Two simple commands. 
Two straightforward and clear words from God. Yet, beloved, I can testify this morning that it is not the complicated commands that get us. It is not the complicated commands that trip us up. It is the clear, concise, straightforward commands of Christ that trip us up most of the time. It is not that the Lord has been unclear. It is not that the Lord's word has been complicated. Clear and concise. Let's get in the boat, go back out to the deep. Let's set the nets down into the water and fish. But notice Peter's response. In verse 5, master or teacher, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Now, beloved, I want us to be fair to Peter this morning. Okay, I want us to be fair to Peter this morning. Commercial fishing is not easy. It is not an easy job. Commercial fishing is not a glamorous job. Have you ever watched The Deadliest Catch? You do not want to be on those fishing boats out on the Bering Sea unless you know what you're doing. It's hard. It's labor-intense work. It's dangerous. It's difficult and often frustrating. And to be a successful fisherman for a living, you have to know what you're doing. Catching fish for a living is not luck. And Peter knew what he was doing. Peter was confident in his abilities to fish. And rightly so. This is how he made his living. And it had been a long day. And it had been an unfruitful day. And he was tired and he was frustrated. And Jesus, you may be a master teacher, but I am a master fisherman. And so in essence, Peter was saying, Jesus, we've done all that. It didn't work. We've done all that today, and it didn't work. Can you tell you how many times that I've heard that in my spirit? The Lord says, in a trying time, I need you to pray. And you say, I prayed, and it didn't work. Well, well, sing, sing the glorious songs of Zion. You say, I've sung, and it didn't work. Well, okay, go to church. Go to church. Ten, get in the fellowship of the believers. And you say, I've gone to church, even evening service, and it didn't work. 
Well, go to Bible study or Sunday school or small group. No, I've tried all that. It didn't work. Listen, beloved. God may not ask you to do anything but what you've already done. And it may not be anything but telling you to do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Because it's not about your doing. It's about your trusting. Trusting. Trusting the Lord. Trust the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait, I say, wait on the Lord. Don't stop believing. Don't stop giving. Don't stop going. Don't stop praying. Wait on him. Why? Because if you wait on him, you will find grace is coming. Grace is coming. And they that wait on the Lord, the Bible reminds us, that they are the ones who renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wait on him. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And if you wait on him, and if you do it, as he's commanded you to do it, you're going to find that this amazing king gives an amazing grace. Even in the simplest obedience. An amazing grace, beloved. An amazing grace. Once Peter allowed himself to trust Jesus, you know what he discovered? He discovered some wonderful truths about God's amazing grace. Listen. Luke 5 and verse 6 through 7. When they had done so, when Peter had obeyed, and they had done so, they caught such a large, num large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Amazing. Truly, truly, truly amazing revelation of the kingdom of God, the king and his goodness. Amazing. Truly amazing grace. There are several reasons why it's amazing from this passage this morning. But the first one, as you may not think about, but I think it's important, that his grace is amazing that you and I get it at all. Let's just start there this morning, beloved. 
His grace is amazing in the fact that we get it at all. Let's just pause for a moment and contemplate an amazing truth of what happened here. No one deserved this bounty. No one earned this catch. Peter had already received what he had earned that day. And in verse 5, it says nothing. Nothing. He had gotten what he deserved that day. Absolutely nothing. And when Jesus sets out with them onto that boat, beloved, this was not a reward for his labors. This was not a reward for Peter's diligence or faithfulness. Because grace is not a reward. Romans chapter 11 and verse 6 tells us that grace is not a reward. For if it was reward, it would no longer be grace. But grace is a gift. God's goodness is a gift, beloved. Most of us, most of us are diligent in our labors. We've worked hard at life to get us where we are today. And therefore, because we have, most of us feel entitled. Entitled. Because of the diligence I put into my education, because of the diligence that I put into my job, I am entitled. I am entitled to a good home. I am entitled to a good job. I am entitled to good health. Because of all that I have poured into my children, I am entitled to faithful children. Because of all that I have given for my spouse, I am entitled to a fruitful marriage. I am entitled to loving friends. And beloved, I want to remind you this morning in case you have forgotten that you and I are not entitled to anything from God. There are no entitlements in the kingdom. The good things in this life, beloved, are but measures of God's grace over and over again. Because like Peter, if we're honest this morning, like Peter, you and I have doubted God's goodness enough. We have hesitated enough in trusting at his word for him to leave us with empty nets. To leave us mending and cleaning empty nets. But he doesn't. He doesn't. Why? Because his mercy is not because we deserve it. It is because we don't. That's why it's mercy. His grace is not because we're good. It's because we're not. His grace is amazing. Because we get it at all. Because we get it at all. And it is also amazing 
Because when it comes, beloved, it is more than enough. It is more than enough. God's kingdom is an abundant kingdom. God's kingdom is not lacking. And it surely isn't lacking in grace. Listen, beloved. When they pulled those fish into the boat, the Bible tells us that the fish were more than the nets could hold. The fish not only filled the nets, but the fish filled the boats. And not just one boat, but it filled a second boat to overflowing. Why? Because this is what God's grace does. God's grace doesn't just come. It comes in abundance. It overflows. It's more than enough. That's what Paul, that's what Paul said. First Timothy chapter 1, again in verse 13. He looked at his life and he reminded Timothy that even though I was once a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. It overflowed. It overflowed to me. The grace of God leaves no doubt where it comes from. That's the point. Leaves no doubt where it comes from. There was no doubt where these fish were coming from. Leaves no doubt. It leaves no doubt. It comes from the overflow of God's love. And beloved, it doesn't run out. It doesn't run out. It doesn't run out. And you can't outrun it because that's what Jonah tried. You can't outsin it because that's what David tried. And that's what Samson tried. And that's what I've tried. You can't outgive it and you can't outlive it. His love has no limit, his grace no measure, his power no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Beloved. Beloved, this is amazing. The grace of God is amazing. It is more, more than enough. It's more than enough. It's amazing because we get it at all. It is amazing because it is more than enough. Well, beloved, it is amazing because Jesus is amazing. And you and I are not. This is amazing. I want you to think about that for a moment. The amazing grace of God is seen and, and it reveals how amazing Jesus is and how unamazing we are. And yet we get it. Notice what it says in Luke 5, 8, and 9. But when Peter saw it, 
What did he see? This amazing grace of God. When he saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he, not only he, not only he, not only Peter, but all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. When Peter saw the abundance of God's grace, okay? Listen. When Peter saw the abundance of God's grace, he also saw Jesus. This is how you know. This is how you know you see it. Okay? This is how you know that you have beheld not just the kingdom, but the king. He saw grace, and in seeing God's grace, he saw Jesus. And in seeing Jesus, he saw Jesus was amazing. And then he saw himself as unamazing. He saw Jesus as amazing. And seeing Jesus as amazing... He saw himself as unamazing. The grace of God, beloved, this, this is the grace of God. That he opens my eyes so that I might see myself as the un. Hey, As the un. Say un. Un. To see myself as the un. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 5, Isaiah saw the Lord like Peter saw the Lord that day. Isaiah saw the Lord. And the Bible says in Isaiah 6 and 5, then I said, woe is me, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen what? The king. I've seen the Lord of hosts. And I am undone. I see myself. And I am unclean. I see myself. And I am the un. This is what grace does. Grace opens our eyes so that we can see. And what do you see? You see that Christ is worthy and I am unworthy. That Christ is holy and I am unholy. That Christ is clean and I am unclean. That Christ is righteous and I am unrighteous. That Christ is godly and I am ungodly. That we are the un. But beloved, that is the good news. That is the good news of the kingdom. Being the un 
is good because it is the un that Christ came to save. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. For while we were still weak and at the right time, Christ came to die for who? The ungodly. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, the Bible says that for Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. It is the unrighteous, beloved, who by grace are made righteous. It is the unclean who by grace are made clean. It is the unamazing who are saved by amazing grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross. You laid down your life that I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all. That you've done for me. This, beloved, is amazing grace. This, this is unfailing love. The righteous took the place of the unrighteous. The clean took the place of the unclean. The godly took the place of the ungodly. This is amazing grace. This is an amazing king, an amazing kingdom. And when he calls, he calls to an amazing commission. He revealed the kingdom of God to these men. He bestowed upon them the abundance of the kingdom. And then he called them with this amazing, gracious commission. You know what grace does, beloved? This is what I found in my own life. That grace changes you and clarifies the mission. That's what it does. It changes you and clarifies the mission. It opens your eyes so now you can see who you are. And then you see the mission more clearly. The Bible says in Luke 5, 9 through 11, for he, speaking of Peter, and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Peter, James, and John all saw the kingdom that day, all. Saw the bounty of God's amazing grace. And all that day received an amazing commission. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. For from now on, you will be catching men. And they have brought 
their boats to land for the final time. And they left off being fishermen. And they became fishers of men. Listen, the undoing of Peter was God's doing. That's what God does. It is part of God's work of grace in our lives. No one, no one truly comes to know the Lord intimately until you come to an end of yourself. Until you come to an end of yourself. And you want to ask the question, where is Jesus? Well, he's at the end of you. That's where he is. He's at the end of you. Peter was undone. So too were James and John. And it was there at that moment that they saw, really saw Jesus. They had seen him before. This wasn't their first meeting with Jesus. Jesus had just been in Peter's house. But this time, they saw him. And it brought an end to themselves. Because that's where Jesus was. He's at the end of you. And it's, it's, I know it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. Particularly in your youth. Youth makes this truth hard, really hard to fathom. Because no 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25-year-old believes that they can be brought to an end of themselves. I know I didn't. I know I didn't. Listen, beloved, I moved to Atlanta in August of 1990. After many years of wandering in the wilderness of school and, and work in Michigan. And I moved to Atlanta in 1990, and I found nothing but more frustration. No school, no work, and nobody to help me with either one of them. And it was there. It was there that I was brought to an end of myself. And it was there at the end of me that I saw Jesus. And like Peter, I thought I was going to be doing one thing. And God in his grace determined that I should do another. I thought I was going to be one thing. But God said, no, young man, you're going to be another. Peter thought he was going in one direction. Jesus would send Peter, James, and John in another one. And that's what the grace of God does. The grace of God not only changes, but then it clarifies. It clarifies. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Peter. Don't be afraid. I got grace 
that gives you strength for the day, I got grace that's going to bring hope for tomorrow. Don't, don't be afraid. Forget the fish in the nets. I want to talk to you about fishing for men. Don't be afraid. Peter became a changed man. James and John became a changed man because that's what grace does, beloved. Grace changes you. And it clarifies the mission. And no one knew this better than the Apostle Paul. No one knew this better than the Apostle Paul. You think grace changed Peter. You think grace clarified things for Peter. Paul said that Peter was nothing compared to what the grace of God done for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10, the apostle Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But on the contrary, I worked harder than all of them. Worked harder than Peter. Worked harder than James. Worked harder than Paul. Why? Because I know what the grace of God has done for me. And I know that I am what I am, but the grace of, but for the grace of God. And it is the grace of God that set me running. It is the grace of God on my heels that keeps me running. I know what the Lord has done for me. I know where he found me. I know how he picked me up. I know how he turned my life around. I know how he set me now on an abundant ground. I know now that he has given me everything I have. And he has been to me all I need. Beloved, listen to me this morning. Those three unassuming, uneducated, and I'm sure unfiltered fishermen by the Sea of Galilee saw the king, saw the kingdom, saw his grace, put down them nets, and changed the world. And that's why you and I are here today. Amazing king, amazing kingdom, and amazing grace. Let's pray.